Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or trans. Oh my gosh, it just looked at my beard is so poofy today. Hello, good morning. Welcome to the program. Hour one of the Michael Duke Show. Good morning and welcome to the six o'clock club. Uh, wow, what a uh, what a day. What a day. We are ready to go. Uh, we're rapidly running into the end of summer. Uh, it was so hot last night, and then this morning it was cold. <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, no sheets, no blankets. And then at you know two o'clock this morning, I was like, where's my blanket? You know, kind of thing. It's that wild swing time. And so, uh, welcome to it, and thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, this is the Tuesday edition of the show, and that means today is the day that we're going to get down and uh, get into some details on some things uh, with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And this morning, we're going to talk about the new credit rating, the new bond rating that Alaska has achieved, and why it's actually being built on the backs of the death of the PFD. Did that Does that make sense? Did that Did that whole statement make sense? Why the death of the PFD is the foundation for the new bond rating. Um, also, why non-residents should contribute to the budget here in the state of Alaska. And why fiscal hawks, people who would like to see cuts to the university, should still be able to sit on the University of Alaska Board of Regents. And that doesn't seem to be the case right now uh, of uh, what's going on. So, <clears throat> it is, uh, it's... It's just another one of those beautiful days. Thank you for coming out and joining us. Uh, if you would like to uh, be part of the program and join the mob, is this right? Mob of Merry Malcontents. That's they, They're calling themselves in the chat room this morning, the Mob of Merry Malcontents. Good morning, all of you. Happy, is that, a, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Happy Malcontents. I, I don't know. I think you could be happy while you're still... Pushing back against the establishment, but maybe maybe that is an oxymoron. Anyway, you could join us all in the chat room this morning if you'd like to do so. <clears throat> we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, did I just assume your emotion? I called you Mary. Did I just assume your emotion? Maybe you're sad. I don't know. Uh, anyway, come on out and join us over there on Facebook. We have a good time every morning. Uh, usually 50, 60 people in the chat rooms uh, across the platforms having a good time and enjoying each other's company, usually. Uh, so come on in and be part of that as well this morning. Um, so uh, that's uh, the big thing. In hour two, we're going to talk with Chris Story this morning, who um, I don't know exactly what he's going to talk about, but he called me yesterday. He was all excited. Um, last week I talked about a book that he had never heard about 
written by Peter B. Kind called um, The Go-Getter, written in 1921. And he uh, was excited because he'd received it and he was going to read it last night. And so we may have a bit of a book report today uh, or he may wrap it up into whatever it is that he is teaching or talking about today in hour two. But that will be our betterment session in hour two this morning. Oh, man, a little dry. Got to get a little water here this morning. All right. So <clears throat> what else are we going to talk about? Well, there are some headlines out and about uh, here this morning. Uh, some different things that are interesting to talk about. Um, one, I, I, I do probably get into this an hour or two. I want to talk a little bit about remote work. Uh, and that means you know remote working, uh, w- that it's here to stay. And it's a real deal. And um, I feel... <clears throat> I feel the pressure of it, and we're going to talk about that here as well. But the one thing that I want to dive into here this morning before we get into it with Brad Keithley is this um, – how powerful – how strong a word do I want to use? Uh, sanctimonious, I think, is the word that I want to use. Sanctimonious seems to be a good word. Uh, it may be slightly offensive to some people, but I'm going to use that word this morning because there's a lot of sanctimony going on about people in, especially in Fairbanks. Now, as I've said before, when I served on the borough assembly, I fought tooth and nail to try and protect property rights. Uh, that was one of my big things. Natalie Howard and I were always trying to strengthen the grandfather rights of people who had property and doing things like that. Um, as an extension of that, as the chair of the RSAC board, which is the uh, it's the Area Road Service Commission, where we helped organize the various road service areas around the uh, borough, um, I tried to keep the borough out of those as well, to as much as I could. Uh, with the help of a <clears throat> brilliant legal mind in the former borough attorney, Renee Broker, who was very good at uh, trying to keep government small. She was, you know, I'm not a huge fan of attorneys. She is the exception to that rule. She is not just a lovely person, but a brilliant legal mind and was very, very strong on that. I really appreciated her um, uh so much. I really did. Uh, anyway, um, so this whole thing with the uh, comprehensive plan, we talked about that with Tammy Wilson uh, last week. And um, now we've seen a reaction to this. And again, um, I don't know the person who wrote this piece in the uh, Fairbanks Daily News. The name is familiar, but I don't believe I've ever met them. Eric Troyer is the uh, name of the person. Uh, who uh, says he Eric Troyer's lived in Fairbanks since 1989 and served on several boards, including the Interior Trail Preservation Coalition and the Vista Gold Road Service Area Commission. Um, he writes an article here that talks about the new ordinance that's been put forth by Barbara Haney that would remove the trails from part of the comprehensive plan, would remove the ability to uh, basically take people's property, to put it in this comprehensive plan and uh, allow people public access to people's private property. Um, and the, the tone of this entire article is, it, it is sanctimonious. It really is. Um, he said, he starts off with saying the proposed ordinance that would gut the Fairbanks Borough Comprehensive Planning Process will have a public hearing uh, tonight at 8 p.m. 
He said, while there are positive aspects of the ordinance, it would be damaging to the borough. A key part of the ordinance is a single line that would allow property owners to opt out of planning documents for anything that is dedicated for public pur purposes, such as park, trail, or road. And to me, that is the that is the the biggest red flag in this entire article. It would allow the property owner to opt. Okay, so first of all, it's our property, right? I mean, I own property in the Fairbanks North Star Borough. I don't want a trail going. I pay property taxes on that. I want to be able to do with my property what I want to do. But somehow, in many people's minds, your private property is not so private. It should, in fact, be available for the public good. No matter what you want, it should be available for the public good. Now, people down in Homer should be listening to this and thinking about Zach Brown and that whole thing with his property where he just wanted a little privacy and didn't want the, oh, but that's okay. It's for the public good, so it must be okay if it's for the public good. And when I say public good, read here a small contingency of people who want to go hiking across other people's property. I mean, that's... That's just one of the things right there. A key part of the ordinance is a single line that would allow property owners to opt out of planning documents for anything that is, quote, dedicated for a public purpose, such as a park, trail, or road. Now, I will note that the government does have the ability to take private property in a process called eminent domain, that when it is of the best, you know, highest use of the public, that then they have the ability. But see, then they have to compensate you for that. It is a taking. What <clears throat> this is proposing and what these overall comprehensive planning documents are doing is they're trying to do a taking without recompense. They're saying, well, yeah, you own the property, but, you know, there's a higher use for this where the public should be able to come in and have access to it, which completely violates the whole idea of private property to begin with. And the idea that's that there, I understand having kind of a roadmap for where you want to go as a borough or as an organization or as a business, or I understand wanting to have a roadmap. The problem is, is that in the case of the government, when they have a, uh, when they have a planning a document or a planning process, they basically want to micromanage and plan everything out to the nth degree 20 years from now. They don't want you to do anything on your property because maybe someday, 20 years from now, they may want to do something with your property. Meanwhile, you may have bought and paid for it. You may have completely paid it off. You may own it free and clear, except, of course, you're paying the ransom every month or every year to Uncle Sugar in the form of the borough government to make sure that you could stay there. You think you own your property? Just stop paying property taxes for what is it, three years? I don't know. I've been on the list before because I've just I get so agitated about it. I just put it off sometimes. And next thing you know, they get a notice in the mail saying if you don't stop this, we're gonna put you on the list and sell your property. I'm like, I own the property free and clear. Doesn't matter. <sighs> Um, this, this article or this, uh, opinion piece goes on and, uh, it says other parts of the ordinance would change how affected landowner and landowners would be contacted and require the borough to pay for required easements. Although the wording in the ordinance is unclear as to whether payment would just be for trail access 
uh, trail easements or trail or road easements. But let's consider the key opt-out. I'm certain if property owners can opt out at any time or only when a plan is being adopted. I'm uncertain, he says, if it's either any time or only when a plan is being adopted. In any case, the proposed ordinance would turn any comprehensive plan into an uncomprehensive plan. I'm so sorry about that. Boo freaking who. Theoretically, all landowners could opt out, making the planning process useless. Well, yes, if the planning process is violating your private property rights, then I'm all for making it useless. If Even if some opt out, the plan would be a patchwork defeating the comp concept of a comprehensive plan. How much power do we want to give the... And, of course, this guy's got a pet project. He wants the trails, and so he always wants access to your private property. That's the point here. They want access to the private property without having to pay for it. He goes on down later on into the... Into the uh, um, into the uh, article, it starts talking about, I mean, how much would it cost us if we had to pay for all these things? How would we, you know, how would we pay for all that? I mean, it, this is, it, it would be very, very, um, very, very expensive. And what about the state and the federal government? He goes on to talk about how this is really not about the small property owners. This comprehensive plan and this ordinance uh, why it, you shouldn't do it is because it's about the semi-public agencies like the state of Alaska and the federal government and the university and the mental health trust. We need a plan that goes through all those things. I mean, this is really not about the small property owners, except the small property owners are the ones that would be hugely affected by this. University is not so much affected if somebody walks across their land. If you only have two acres and you don't want a bunch of hooligans running up and down on your property, that's a real problem. I'm sorry. I don't mean to yell. I apologize. I don't mean to be. But this is some real, this is some hubris. I mean, just on a monumental level. Will you want us to pay for that? That does, no, we couldn't. No. And, oh, maybe we'll talk about this more on the other side. I didn't realize I was getting so close. I got to go. But, I mean, just the, again, just the arrogance of that's not really your property we're just letting you live there and you'll damn well like the fact that we're going to have a trail going across your place and you should just give it up but don't stop paying your property taxes theoretically landowners could opt out yes they should opt out okay I gotta go the Michael Luke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. <sighs> Got so mad I pushed the wrong button. Got so mad I was pushing the wrong button. Oh, these people, I swear to God. They, I mean, so, so sanctimonious. Well, we just, we need all that for the, you know, the comprehensive plan. We've got to have it because we've got to plan everybody 
No, only if you're a narcissistic asshole do you have to do that kind of stuff. We have to plan everybody. No, you don't. People want to do what they want, as long as they're not hurting anybody, and they're paying their taxes, and they're doing all the things that you want to do, you do not need access to their property. If it's an easement across the edge of the trail for access to something, that's fine. But, I mean, they're this, this plan, this comprehensive plan, especially when you're talking about things like the walking trail and a long trail and all this other kind of stuff, I mean, it is just astonishing that they're like, well, we need access to that. I mean, we, we, you know, we. He goes into this whole thing about how, um, you know, what if, what if somebody tries to subdivide and and the subdivision needs to be extended across state land to borough land? But if we have no comprehensive plan, he's acting like this whole thing just destroys a comprehensive plan. It doesn't. It screws up their plan, their trail plan, overall trail plan. But it wouldn't. You know, the state doesn't have to opt out. The feds don't have to opt out. The university and the mental health trust don't have to opt out. But it does give smaller property owners the ability to opt out because, again, most of those other places, the fed, the state, the fed, the you, the whole, they don't care about people necessarily walking across their property. But if you've got an acre and a half somewhere and you don't want people wandering through the middle of your yard, which is where some of these trails are platted out, then yeah. And he's offended that they could be, I mean, I apologize. I didn't mean to get so agitated by this, but this is just one of those things. Okay. Um, Brad Keithley is in the chat room. Boy, this was not the day for me to start with that story, was it? Absolutely not the day for me to start with that story because now I got to talk to Brad and he's going to be all calm and rational. <laughs> and I don't want to be calm and rational. I want to be angry about this. Hello. Good morning, my friend. Uh, how are how are you doing this morning? Is there a blood pressure monitor on uh, in, on your schedule on your scale there? No, not really. I mean, my blood pressure is <laughs> extremely low, so it's good. I mean, I'm <laughs> not not this morning. I doubt. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, generally speaking, it's super low. So maybe I reached the normal category at this point for people because <laughs> usually my my blood pressure is like you know sixty three over one hundred five or something. So anyway, um, hi, Brad. That's, that's that that's some of the most animated I've seen you on an issue this I, early in the morning. Well, yeah, I mean, I um, you know, I thought, well, this would be a good thing to talk about, and I didn't realize how agitated I was going to get the more I talked about it, <laughs> um, because I just cannot believe the hubris of people to say, um, well, it's your property, but we want to have access to it for the common good or for whatever, for our hobby, trail walking or trail hiking or whatever, and I'm just like. If you guys want that, then pay for it. I pay my property taxes. I want my privacy or I want to do with my land what I want to do. If you want to have access to my property, you can offer me a fair market sum for it and I'll decide whether or not I want it. And I may refuse it. That's my right as a property owner. But they come up with these big comprehensive plans where they, you know, oh, we're going to decide, you know, we're going to decide what you're going to, what your place is going to look like in 20 years. Uh, please step step back step back sorry all right let's uh let's continue ahead 
Brad, I told you, not a good day for this. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's get going on. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Brad Keithley is our guest. We're going to dive into it here and get started uh, right now. Um, please like and share, like and follow. I'm not even caught up with the comments, so I apologize if you've been commenting. Uh, but here we uh, here we go. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. All right, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Yeah, I got a little wound up there. I apologize. I... This is one of my few truly hot button issues. So we'll come back to this, I'm sure, after we're done with Brad. But Brad Keithley <laughs> joins us right now. Maybe Brad can soothe the savage beast inside my heart right it. now. I doubt it, he says. <laughs> let's, let's. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Brad's, I, think you're pe- I think you're pegging at the high uh, end here right now. Brad's back in the green room just you know, struggling not to laugh outright at this whole thing because he's watching me just spin like a top. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes on every week to talk about three big talk, uh, topics. We call it the weekly top three. So, Brad, let's get started. The latest news, of course, is that there's a new bond rating agency or newer bond rating agency that has come out and given Alaska a double A bond rating. Yay! It's so great. Uh, what they don't tell you, of course, is that it's built on the funeral pyre of the PFD. If you're looking for some imagery, there you go. The funeral pyre <laughs> of the PFD, they have built it on top of that. Am I wrong? Go for it, Brad. <laughs> You're 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 really you're you're I into know. it this morning. You're, I know you're getting these things going. Um, so in the uh, Alaska Beacon, I haven't seen it picked up anyplace else yet. But in the Alaska Be- Beacon, James Brooks has an article that's titled "In Alaska's Newest Credit Rating Analysts See Some Economic Upside." And um, the first paragraph uh, is a new review by analysts from New York City-based Kroll Bond Rating Agency has delivered Alaska's most positive fiscal checkup in years. Uh, the firm, which has not previously examined Alaska, gave the state a double A credit rating in late July, the second highest of the 10 steps in the company's uh, rating scale. And, and so you read that and you go, wow, that's great. You know, we're, 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 we're being recognized as getting our spending under control. I have to laugh at this, but we're being recognized <laughs> as getting our spending under control, that our fiscal policy, our fiscal situation is under control. And, you know, to the outside world, it looks like, you know, we're, we're, we're back in control of the situation until you go into the details of the document. And James doesn't pick this up, by the way, in the article, you have to, you have to go into the details of the, uh, of the report by Kroll to understand what's going on. And here's what's going on. Basically it, they, they've ignored the PFD. Basically they're saying Alaska's in great fiscal shape. If you don't count that PFD thing. Um, uh, and, and they explain that by saying dividend here's, this is from the report, dividend payments reduce the level of resources available for operating purposes, but the legislature's discretion in setting the APF ERA transfer and the level of dividend payments each year provides flexibility with respect to managing the state's finances. And you go back on into the report and look at some of the detailed financial analysis and what they, what they're doing is like like the Alaska Senate 
treating the PFD as an expense that can be varied up and down depending upon uh, uh, Alaska's uh, 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 financial situation, depending upon other revenues and depending upon spending levels. And, and so they're assuming that the, the report essentially assumes that the PFD will be, will be varied up and down uh, in order to keep Alaska's uh, fiscal situation um, uh, stabilized. That's, that's, I mean, that, that, that's what the report does. That's how we get a double A AA bond rating. Uh, that's why, you know, the headline is Alaska's fiscal situation is, is under control. And that's what, and that's the basis for the Dunleavy administration's uh, press release that says, Oh, aren't we, aren't we good? Uh, we have a double A yeah. bond rating. Now. Well, this is, this Here, is, before you get into it and, and hold that thought, but this is what got me was that the tone in this article and the tone of the press release and the tone of the quote in it is like the administration is looking for kudos for cutting the dividend. That's really what it, I mean, when you read the the what was the, the quote, Governor Mike Dunleavy and Department of Revenue Commissioner Adam Crum called the report an upgrade from prior ratings done by the firm. Crum adding that it's a significant achievement and a win for the state. You just cut the PFD by two thirds and it's a significant achievement and win for the what happened to the, what happened to standing tall? What happened to standing tall is what I want to know. I'm sorry, Brad. Again, no, nope. great site, great, great segue. Here, here's the deal with these bond ratings, and I've been through a lot of them over the course of, or over the course of my career. The bond rating is a reflection of what the bond agency is, be, the bond rating agency is being told by the company or by the, or by the the state or by the, the the governmental entity, whatever it's rating. It's a reflection of what it's being told. It doesn't make up these numbers. It doesn't make up these statements about about you know how the the state or the the company treats certain revenue items it doesn't make up the financials that go that go in the back end back end of the report that, that are the detail behind the report it takes those it takes what's provided by the state and and uses that then to analyze to to run it through its criteria and analyze whether the whether the entity meets uh, meets you know certain ra- certain rating criteria, and so it's the state that has told the state the Dunleavy administration because this is done by the Department of Revenue. It's done by the debt manager. These presentations are made by the debt manager in the Department of Revenue, which used to be Devin Mitchell, who's now the head of the Permanent Fund Corporation, and is now Ryan Williams, uh, reporting to Adam Crum. Uh, it, these uh, 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 presentations are made by the debt manager, and it's the administration's debt manager, the Dunleavy administration's debt manager, that is telling the rating agency the the PFD can be used like an accordion. It can be collapsed uh, in order to keep uh, uh, keep the the revenue stable or keep the, uh, uh, the the bottom line stable, or it can be expanded. Don't really talk about it being expanded, but but it, but it's it's the it's the debt manager that's explaining these things and providing the numbers to the bond rating agency. So while the Dunleavy administration, when it comes out with its annual budget, uh, and OMB publishes the annual budget, while the Dunleavy administration in those documents drops the PFD to the bottom line and drops the PFD out of the calculation of expenses and treats it separately. Uh, as as it should, as a designated revenue source designated for permanent fund for the permanent fund dividend, uh, 
while the Dunleavy administration does that when they make the presentation, when OMB makes its presentation to the public uh, at the at the time that the governor does e each budget, back behind the scenes, when the debt manager's flying off to New York City to make these presentations to the bond to the bond rating agencies, they're showing the PFD up in the expense items and showing it as an expense of government that can be varied varied up and down. And they're explaining the PFD, the Dunleavy administration is explaining the PFD to the debt rating agencies as something that can be varied depending upon the the, the fiscal requirements uh, of, of any given of any given budget cycle. So I mean we got we we've got a clear example here of the Dunleavy administration talking out of both sides of its mouth. You know you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of those businesses that are running two sets of books, one for the IRS to see and one for themselves. You know what I mean? That's the thing. They're treating it as one way when they're over here. And when they're coming to the public, they're treating it the other way over here. I'm your hero. I'm defending it. Look, I've kept it out. And over here, they're like, oh, no, suckers. We're we're using it as a as a slush fund to do whatever. That's what it reminds me of. It, it is, Michael. I mean, they've got one set of books they're showing to the public. They've got one set of books they're, they're campaigning on, one set of books that, that they're political books about what they claim they're doing uh, with respect to the permanent fund dividend. And then another set of books entirely that they're using with respect to the bond rating agencies. I'll say this. It's, Dunleavy didn't start this. The Dunleavy administration didn't start this. Devin no. Mitchell started it during, during the Walker administration. But the Dunleavy administration hasn't stopped it. And 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 hasn't hasn't changed it to reflect the 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 principles the fiscal principles that he ran on uh, his first time the fiscal principles he ran on the second time and the fiscal fiscal principles he talks about when he brings the annual budget forward uh, in December. One more thing to be disappointed about. Um, all right. Uh, number two, uh, we got to, actually we finished a little bit early with number one. Unless you got something else to say on it, so let's go on to number two. Why should, sorry, why, why should, why should outsiders, why should non-residents, why should they be involved in state budgets? Why should they have to pay a kick? Why should they, you're going to tell us what's going on here. So the, the article that, that triggered this is again in the Alaska Beacon, it's by Yareth Rosen. The headline is workforce shortages could sabotage Anchorage and Alaska economic opportunities report says. And it's the report, they're reporting on the report by uh, Bill Pop uh, at last week's uh, Alaska uh, Economic or Anchorage Economic Development Corporation uh, and three annual report, annual presentation of its uh, three-year uh, Alaska, uh, three-year outlook. And it's talking about, um, well, here it is. It's talking about uh, uh, the, Alaska, the Anchorage workforce and the Alaska workforce and, and raising issues about whether those workforces are adequate to meet the job opportunities, the growing job opportunities uh, that are out there. And there is one piece in this that I just found fascinating and we'll, and we'll wanna talk about more after the break, but, but here's the paragraph that I found fascinating. It says in Anchorage, one out of every four jobs are held by people who do not live in the city. That includes 12%, so that's 25%, right? Uh, that includes 12% of Anchorage job holders who are commuters from elsewhere in Alaska, mostly the outlaw, outlying Matsu borough. And 13%, 13% of the Anchorage workforce 
of job holders who are non-Alaskans traveling here for shift work or seasonal work or who never come to Alaska at all because they are working remotely uh, from elsewhere. That's a huge number. 13% of the Anchorage workforce. He's not talking about the state workforce. He's talking about the Anchorage workforce, which is, you know, where people live. 13% of the Anchorage workforce is coming uh, is coming from out of staters. So we need to talk about what that means. I want to talk about what that means from a fiscal policy standpoint and what, uh, what we should be doing uh, with respect to uh, those outsiders. Uh, this is a fascinating topic in part because part of it touches on something I'm going to touch on later on in the show, which is this remote working thing. But you're right. Even if you're remote working, you have to contribute in some way. Uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio. We'll return right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. I always find it ironic. Somebody like Bill Pop. And Bill Pop, by the way, now resigned from AEDC and running for Anchorage mayor. Um, just another example of shuffling government bureaucrats because i mean aedc although it's they call it a non-profit it's almost completely funded by the city this is a city funded just like all the economic development corps around the state are pretty much almost exclusively funded by the either the the boroughs the cities or some kind of federal grant where they're in there you know they're doing studies and making money on the alaska study industry kind of docket for all these different things. And now he's going to go in and make Anchorage great again or whatever he's going to do. Um, but this is this is some serious irony here, Brad. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, maybe maybe that maybe he's setting his uh, maybe this report was nothing more than setting his uh, the tone of his of his upcoming campaign, if that's indeed what he does. I mean, that's what the rumors are. I don't well, think he's announced. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's it's been it's it's in the public. He hasn't made the official announcement, but he's out asking for money. And even after this luncheon, he was heard told telling people that he was running for mayor. So, uh, I mean, it's made the papers and everything else. So he hasn't made the official announcement, but I guarantee you it's coming. Well, the announcement then, then his platform is going to be I'm going to make Anchorage great again. I'm going to bring all these all these jobs back uh uh, for, uh, Alaskans. I mean, it, it is true. We're, we're, we're on a, a, a rising tide here in terms of, in terms of jobs in Alaska. And we're on a rising tide in terms of, in terms of job, jobs on the North slope. I mean, if, if, if Willow and Pika go forward, uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of, uh, work up on the North slope and, and a tremendous amount of kickoff work uh, that goes on in town and, and in, in other parts of the state. And he's, and he's also true. I mean, one of the consequences, this is, this is nationwide. This is not just Alaska. 
But one of the consequences of COVID and, and the early retirements that people took is that the workforce is down. We've lost a, we've lost the, a, a significant share of the older part of the workforce due to uh, regular retirements and early retirements. Um, and, and a lot of that has taken, taken wind out of the sails of, uh, of having enough people to, for the jobs, the rising jobs that are coming out there. So Alaska has always uh, uh, filled that gap between jobs on the one hand uh, and and you know people in the state uh, uh, employed uh, stepping up to those jobs. On the other hand, they've always filled them with with out of staters. This is a this seems to be to me a particularly high number um, uh, as we as we have the rising tide of jobs and the and the and the dropping in the in the workforce. Uh, the gap seems to be growing, and and this seems to be a a big number of jobs and that's and this is just an anchorage i mean this is just the so this isn't reflecting north slope jobs at all which i would guess if this is what's going on in anchorage i would guess we're having the same sort of gap show up on the slope and we're having the same sort of influx we're going to be having the same sort of influx of of out-of-staters outsiders coming in to, to fill the jobs on the slope as pika and uh, willow uh, gear up yeah. Well, and, and of course, COVID had a lot of impacts. So we I've had a lot of discussions uh, about this. Uh, many of my clients uh, in the radio world, uh, you know, advertising clients uh, are all basically stating the same thing. They don't have enough qualified employees. They don't have enough people who will show up to work. They don't have enough people who want to stay on the job. Uh, COVID had some real ramifications. Um, my speculation, and this is a complete and total sidebar from what Brad has been talking about, but I'll, I'll get his t take on this. My speculation is, is that COVID and all the fear mongering that went around COVID, the fear porn that you saw coming out of the TV and out of the radio all the time, um, made people really face their own mortality. And it kind of changed their mindset from keeping up with the Joneses or having the next nice thing to people were afraid and now they want to now they value memories over stuff. They value making memories and doing things and spending time doing the things that they love versus being in a cage for eight hours a day or 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. And so there, I think a lot of them are just basically doing the bare minimum just to get a buy so they can enjoy experiences and things like that. I think that's been one of the fundamental changes. Uh, that very, that very well could be Michael. I mean, the numbers that I've seen, uh, and I've and I've seen more numbers at a national level than I than I have at the state level, to be honest. But the numbers I've seen are showing the early retirements really has has been a big driver in in the reduction in uh, in the workforce. I mean, what what happens when you have early retirements is people in the in the middle bracket, people halfway through their career move up, and then people in the lower, you know, people who are just starting their career move up to what was previously. The, the filled by the middle bracket. And so you don't have that, that, that initial uh, uh, workforce, young workforce go able to go into service or available to go into service jobs. They've moved up. Right. No, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes of it. Okay. We're going to continue with number two here. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for sustainable budgets, the Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty base, free thinking radio, like and share, like and follow. Here we go.
continuing now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. It is the weekly top three. We were into number two, talking about it a bit here, which is the out-of-state workforce uh, is makes up a big part of Alaska. We were talking about Anchorage. 13% of the overall workforce in Anchorage is out-of-state workers, and whether that means they fly up, they're seasonal, or even remote workers, um, it's a big problem in a lot of ways. Brad, give me your thoughts on this. Well, it's a big, it's a big issue. I mean, we, we, it's good to have jobs. It's good to have the jobs in Anchorage. It's good to, for those jobs to be available, to be available. Uh, but that's a big chunk of the workforce that's coming from out of state. And they're putting a, I mean, they put a burden on the state. Uh, they put that, you know, they, they drive on roads, they, uh, demand government services or they expect government services while they're here. Uh, there is a burden that's put on the state by out of, out of the out of state, uh, out of state workforce. And they ought to contribute to the costs uh, of government in every other state uh, that uses either a sales tax or a uh, an income tax as part of the state revenue scheme. Non-resident workers, non-residents contribute to the costs uh, of state government, and it reduces the burden uh, on in-state uh, on on residents when non-residents pay a chunk of the cost of government. They expand the cost of government a little bit. But they pay a significant. They pay a, a share of the cost of government uh, when they when the state either has a sales tax or an income tax. In Alaska, we don't do that. In Alaska, all of the burden uh, at a personal level is being put on middle and lower income Alaska families by using PFD cuts. All of the burden is on Alaska residents, non-residents at the state level. Non-residents aren't contributing uh, to the cost uh, to the cost of government. And and you know that could that's a that's a big percentage. Thirteen percent of the workforce in Anchorage is coming from out of state. When ICER did the the 2016 study, they estimated based upon the numbers then that seven to fifteen percent of the cost of state government could be depending upon which revenue source you use, whether you use sales taxes or income taxes, a flat rate income tax or a progressive income progressive rate income tax. Uh, that seven to fifteen percent of the costs of state government could be borne by non-residents, and that reduces. Keep in mind that reduces the share of government that then has to be paid for by by the remaining Alaskans. Put another way, Alaskans using the PFD only, Alaskans are paying seven to fifteen percent more than they otherwise would if we had non-residents in. Uh, uh, contributing a share of the cost of government. So when you have, if this, if that number were only 2% or 3%, uh, maybe you would say, oh, it's too small to, to mess with. It's too small to, to worry about. Let's not gear fiscal policy around trying to go after those dollars. But when you've got 13% of the largest city in the state's workforce, half the state's population, when you've got 13% uh, coming from out of state, that's something you think about. I mean, how are you going to get them to contribute a proportionate share of the cost of government? One other factor that always that always always you know really gets me going on this on this issue: these people are paying if they come from income tax states or sales tax states. These people are paying taxes to their local state government. If they're coming from income tax states. They're paying tax in that state, in their state of residence, they're paying tax on the income they're earning in Alaska. 
that but that revenue is going to help the state uh, that they come from. Oklahoma. I have friends. I have friends in Oklahoma who come up uh, and and work in Alaska. They pay Oklahoma state income tax on the on the income they get in Alaska. That goes to help the state of Oklahoma. If we taxed it in Alaska uh, at whatever rate we set, if we taxed it and la- ta- tax the Alaska share of their income in Alaska, it would go to benefit Alaska, where they where they've earned that income, and it would be deducted from their tax obligation. Uh, in Oklahoma, they wouldn't pay tax twice. It would be there'd be an allocation between the two. But Oklahoma is saying, "Hey, if ta- if Alaska isn't going to tax it, great for us. We'll we'll tax it, and we'll take that additional revenue in and help reduce the burden on Oklahoma residents uh, by getting Alaska essentially to contribute a part of it." So it's this this is a screwed up fiscal situation we've gotten ourselves into, and it's and it's the consequence. Of, of doing whatever we, ever we can to avoid taxing the top 20%, right? By pushing the burden to middle and lower income Alaska families through using, through using PFD cuts. And, and, the, and the non-residents, 13% of the, Alaska, of the Anchorage workforce, the non-residents are getting a free ride uh, as a result of as a result of that policy, it's wrong. It's bad. It's well. It's it's put it's putting an undue burden on Alaska residents that shouldn't be there. And they're not necessarily getting a free ride because a lot of them are paying taxes in their home state, so they're still paying it. And why would they care whether it goes to Oklahoma or goes to Alaska if it's essentially the same, one way or the other? Um, it doesn't. You know, it, I don't think it would matter necessarily to them. Um, and, uh, it's a significant chunk. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, you one time actually ran the numbers on how much money is lost through that. Um, and if I recall correctly, it was two or $300 million. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? No, that, and that's using the old ICER numbers of seven to 15%, the, the 2016 study numbers of, 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 uh, seven to 15%. Hammond, uh, used a figure of 25%. And, and we may be getting back to the days of 25%. When you look at the slope, so, so what happens when we have activity on the slope, construction activity on the slope, is we import a lot of workers because we, those, those workers have sort of dissipated. They've gone into the economy. They've left the state. They've done something elsewhere in the economy. They've done something when slope activity comes down. So when slope activity ramps back up, we typically have met that gap by bringing in out-of-state workers. So the 13, I, I'm going to guess that the 13% that, that Pop's talking about in the Anchorage workforce uh, is, is, is sort of the low end of what we're seeing statewide when you count in the activity uh, on the slope. And that's, I mean, that's, a, so, so you, using the ICER numbers from 2016 may be understating the amount of revenue that we're missing the, the amount of overburden that we're putting on Alaska residents because we're not getting a contribution from uh, from non-residents. So would you uh, quickly here, would you <clears throat> suggest a just a non-resident tax or would mm, you suggest a tax that would um, or would you suggest a tax that would uh, have an exemption for state in state residents? I mean, what do you, what do you think? So um, uh, Matt Berman from ICER uh, came up with a, 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 an excellent analysis of how to deal with uh, this situation uh, in, a, in a piece he did for the ADN earlier this year. 
And basically what he does is convert the P PFD into an income tax credit and says, if you, it, you can use your PFD as an income tax credit. So if you have uh, 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 an income tax obligation of just to pick numbers to make sense, a hundred dollars and you have a PFD of $50, um, then you can use the PFD as a credit against your, against your income tax, your, your income tax obligation. Um, and the break point is somewhere around $250,000. Those below 250, if you use a flat tax, those below $250,000 wouldn't pay, uh, an income tax at all. Uh, those above would uh, contribute something of an income tax. And, and it would have the effect then of, since non-residents don't have a PFD, it would have the effect then of putting the tax burden, a bigger share, frankly, of the tax burden uh, over on non-residents. All right, let's move on to number three. Uh, why can't fiscal hawks be part of the University Board of Regents? Um, we just saw Tucker Mitt Babcock after two months throw in the towel uh, because he said it takes too much of his time. I don't know if there's a code in there or something for it, but it looks like whatever's happening, they uh, do not want anybody who's looking for efficiencies or any kind of cuts to the university to be part of the Board of Regents, Brad. Yeah, this is so Tuckerman's the second one who uh, uh, who Dunleavy's appointed, who is going through this, this situation. Um, and it's, um, it, it's concerning. Um, Bethany Markham was the was the first. Bethany Markham was a, was was named by the Dunleavy to the board. She was not confirmed by the by the legislature, and now Tuckerman, uh, who uh, was appointed by the by Dunleavy to the board, is just backing out before he goes into the, conf the confirmation process. And this is from the Alaska Beacon's article on Tuckerman's announcing or discussing Tuckerman's decision. It says some legislators say they thought Babcock's confirmation would be unlikely. He was a supporter of Dunleavy's deep cuts to the university budget in 2019, among the reasons legislators cited when they rejected uh, Bethany Markham uh, for the same role. That That's bothersome. Now, Bethany had other baggage. Tuckerman has other baggage. And I can sort of understand legislators having issues with both of them for other reasons. And, and, and and maybe the the opposition to the um, or the the support for Dunleavy spending cuts uh, at the university is just sort of a cover story for these other reasons that they're that legislators voted against them. But to the extent legislators are saying we're not going to support you for for the appointment to the board because you supported budget cuts to the university. Uh, back uh, in the early earlier in the Dunleavy administration, that's a bad that's a bad idea. It, it, I mean, basically, they're saying the only people we're going to support to go on the university board are university board or university cheerleaders, people who want to see all that spending stay at the university, people who are not looking for cuts, people who are not looking for efficiencies, people who are not looking uh, asking hard questions about university spending. We don't want those people on the board. We we want we want only university cheerleaders uh, on the board, and that's that 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 would be a very bad result because the board is sort of the first line of defense in terms of in terms of keeping costs down at the university. They're the ones that have the the closest feel for what the university is spending. And if we're saying we only want cheerleaders on that board, 
and we're basically saying we're going to give the university just free reign, do whatever the heck they want, yeah. spend whatever the heck they want. It's a blank check instead of uh, a watchdog, which is what the re- part of the job of the regents uh, is supposed to be, a watchdog on the university to make sure that they're being you know, ethical and efficient and everything else with the public monies. And if all they're going to get is people who are hype, hype, rah, rah, all you're going to get is more and more and more uh, to the university. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board and, and joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks Michael, for coming. As always, thanks for having me. We, uh, we, we love having you on. All right, folks, we're up against the break. We got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour two, dead ahead. Brian says, ethical universities? Ha, 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 ha. Um, I mean, there, there's an argument there for that, but that's part of what the regents are supposed to do, right? I mean, they're supposed to make sure that everything is run. And it is, they've become bastions of, uh, of bigger, stronger government as long as they get their kick. It doesn't matter what else is going on, Brad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right, Michael. And and it's it's, you want to appoint people who are solid fiscal conservatives. You, at least as a sh- as a part of the board, you want to appoint people who are solid fiscal conservatives, who are looking at the bottom line, who are looking at, at spending, who are looking at efficiencies, who are looking at ways to run the, run the university more efficiently, lower cost. Uh, you want, or, or at least not bigger cost, you want people uh, as part of the mix, uh, in there as part of the mix. And if we're, if we're now saying, Oh, if you support a budget cuts to the university, you were never going to put you on the university board. Then we we're, we've taken out a lot of people, and 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 I would guess most of the fiscal conservatives uh, from consideration for the board. the The board is not supposed to be a cheerleader. The board is supposed to be an oversight, the closest oversight that you can have, outside oversight that you can have of the university. The legislature, the legislatures is several steps removed from being able to peer into the university, having having the day-to-day contact, um, the, seeing the monthly reports or the periodic reports. Legislature is several steps removed from the university. And, and frankly, maybe this is part of how we got into the problem with the university in the first place. We didn't have a board that was exercising strong oversight uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of the universities, of the spending side and the efficiency side of what the university was doing. So I, it, it is troubling. I, as I say, there was, there was other baggage that Bethany brought um, in terms of her service on the redistricting board. There's other baggage that Tuckerman brings in terms of his, uh, his involvement in the, the so-called loyalty oath uh, issue uh, uh, early in the, in the Dunleavy administration. And maybe this, maybe the, 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 the spending thing is, or the, the support for spending cuts is just a cover for voting against them for those other reasons. But, but it, we should be very, the governor should be very clear about this. I'm going to appoint fiscal conservatives. I'm going to appoint people who are looking at the university from the standpoint of increasing efficiencies, lowering spending where, where it's appropriate to do so. And, and the legislature should not be saying, oh, no, we're not going to, the legislature should not push back and say, oh, no, we're not going to put those people on the board. We only want cheerleaders uh, on the board and build it bigger, bigger, bigger. Because that's, I mean, 
that's 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 a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for going right back into the situation that we had that led the governor to push for big spending cuts uh, to the university in the first place. I uh, yeah, and it's sucking up so much of the oxygen uh, in the room and and consuming just such a tremendous amount of overhead in the state. Um, and we're seeing across the country right now, we're seeing a pushback against universities in total. Uh, for many reasons, but fiscal reasons are definitely one of them. And as you've pointed out in the past, Alaska spends more than any of her counterparts in the Western states uh, by an order of magnitude uh, on the universities. And uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's sustainable in the long run. I don't think it's sustainable either, Michael. And and you know the fact is we still have three separate universities. We still have you know two basketball teams. We still have. We still have a lot of things that we duplicate in this state uh, that, you know, frankly, if you if you if you look at the fiscals aren't justified. So it's I, we need people on that board that are pushing back. Now, I you know, maybe we need cheerleaders on the board, too. But by gosh, we don't need all the board to be a cheerleader. Uh, we need people who are pushing back and at least can identify where those efficiencies are and at least help legislators who are interested in in finding those efficiencies and finding those spending cuts, at least are positioned to be able to help the legislators uh, and the administration uh, do that. If we don't have those sorts of people on the board, uh, at least part of the board, then we're just, you know, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna rebuild this 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 behemoth again and and run ourselves into a, into another issue down the road. Well, and going back to your workforce discussion earlier on, I mean, that's part of the problem. Why we're importing is because we're not teaching to what Alaska has to offer, right? I mean, we're having to import all this, uh, all these jobs and everything else. Shouldn't the university be focusing on those things so we don't have to import other people? Yeah. So, you, yeah, yeah. So that's really a separate issue about what should the university be teaching. And, and Governor Dunleavy's uh, most recent, before Tuckerman, the, the appointment before Tuckerman, said that he was going to focus on jobs, that he was going to focus on on creating on, on his his role in the board was going to be focusing on getting the university to teach to jobs. Um, and and that's a that's a good I mean, you want that mix on the board as well. But but that doesn't necessarily lead you to, to you know, the most efficient or the most uh, 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 cost effective uh, answer. It teaches you it, it leads you to yeah, we're going to focus on jobs. We're going to have we're going to have a major emphasis on on teaching to jobs, but it doesn't. You, you don't necessarily sit there and go, and we're going to do it in the most cost cost effective manner. You <laughs> need people on the board who sit there and go, whatever the heck whatever the heck we're doing, we need to do it in the most cost effective, most efficient manner possible. And that's that's the kind of of criteria that at least that paragraph suggests legislators are using as a as a as a as a tool to vote against people people who come in and say we're going to be be efficient and we're going to we're going to you know do it in the most cost effective and efficient manner. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, Brad, thank you so much for coming on board as always. A pleasure to speak with you. Again, I apologize. Michael is always thank I Michael is always thanks for having me. I apologize for the for all the angst coming into the show. Thank you so much for being part of it today. I appreciate it. All right, folks. Uh, that means hour two is dead ahead. 
Maybe we'll get into this issue of private property rights some more. See if I can spike my blood pressure. Back with more right after this. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, the podcasts, and, of course, uh, social media sites, where we simulcast the radio show each and every morning here uh, on the on the big uh, show. And, of course, live around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to hour two of this beautiful Tuesday. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He came in with us to share and to talk about some things which uh, I think you know are very, very important. If you missed it, you can go back uh, and watch it uh, on the replay on YouTube or, or uh, Facebook or you can listen to it on the, um, or you can listen to it on the podcast, which is available wherever you find great podcasts, including my favorite Spotify. Uh, it's my favorite place to go for, po- and now they're doing audiobooks too on Spotify, which is pretty darn cool uh, when it's all said and done. So, thank you uh, for them, and thank you to you guys for listening to the podcast. Three hundred thousand, three hundred forty-seven thousand downloads of the podcast in the last twelve months. Something like that. So thank you. Lots of people listening, and we appreciate that for sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I usually take this time to rehash a few of the things that Brad talked about, but uh, since I was talking about it beforehand and I got a little wound up, I'm going to try and remain as calm as possible here as we continue to go through. But this discussion that's going to be happening tonight in Fairbanks at the borough assembly meeting, I hope I can encourage some of you folks in Fairbanks to take a little time out of your busy schedule to go over and testify about this ordinance in front of the planning commission. The planning commission's meeting tonight, and they're going to be talking about this new ordinance uh, that's been put forward by Barbara Haney that talks about... the right of private property owners it is a uh it's an ordinance that would remove from the comprehensive plan um the ability for the borough to come into private property and demand that they be able to have that the public be able to have access to parts of your land for parks trails roads those kind of things now in some people's minds that is the ultimate of uh, heresy 
because to them, all property is public property. You may be borrowing it. You may be paying property taxes on it. You may have your house on it, but really it's there for everybody's use. It is the highest and best use of the land that the public gets access to everything. Um, I'm talking about an opinion piece that appeared in the Fairbanks Daily News Miner um, from Sunday, written by a gentleman named Eric Troyer, who I don't know. Uh, the name is kind of familiar, but I don't think I've ever met him or know him. Um, he said, uh, according to the byline here, he's lived in Fairbanks since 1989 and has served on several boards, including the Interior Trails Preservation Coalition. And he's been a road service area commissioner as well. Um, but <clears throat> to me, that that speaks volumes right there as serving as a board member for the Interior Trails Preservation Coalition. It's not surprising that he's taken this tact in this article, basically saying what a absolute crime that this is, that this ordinance would come forward because it just guts the whole idea of a comprehensive plan. Now. Let me just say this. Um, <clears throat> I think that the idea that somehow some committee, um, uh, whether it's bureaucrats or politicians or really just plain old ordinary folk, that some committee can somehow some way decide what the, what the borough is going to look like in 20 years from today, can somehow prognosticate what's going to be good on this stuff down the road is the height of hubris, right? It is arrogance in total uh, when you see things like this. Uh, Eric's problem with this whole ordinance, and he lines it out pretty early on in the article, he said uh, there are positive aspects of the ordinance, but overall it would be damaging to the borough. A key part of the ordinance is a single line that would allow, this is the thing, it would allow property owners to opt out of planning documents for anything that is to be, quote, dedicated for public pur purposes, such as a park, trail, or road. Um, to which I say, yes, you public private property owners should have the ability to opt out of things dedicated, like parks, a park on your property. What if you own 40 acres somewhere? that's got a nice piece that runs up next to a road somewhere, and they're like, oh, we've decided that this would be such a nice park, and we're just going to take it from you. We're just going to take it from you. Or worse yet, we're just going to put a park there, and you still own it, but it's a park, and now you have to do it. Or a trail that runs through your property, or a road. Now, there are road easements that you acknowledge when you, when you, you know, get a piece of property or you deed a piece of property. There are road easements in some of these pieces. We understand that. Um, that's part of the understanding. But the idea that somehow this comprehensive plan that is going to plan out all of our lives down the road. Now, remember, this is the same batch of people that at one point when I was on the borough assembly was putting forward a plan that would basically remove all parking from downtown and put wanted to put people up. One of the plans was to create a multi-story dwelling like a skyscraper in downtown Fairbanks where – they wanted everybody to live in the one area and everybody to walk everywhere and do all this kind of stuff. I mean, <clears throat> there is an ideology that is baked into a lot of this planning uh, for cities and boroughs and comprehensive plans that is just, I think, antithetical to the spirit of who Alaskans are.
I, I just I fundamentally believe that at the base of my core. This guy is <clears throat> going on and on about how this would just wreck things for people that, oh, it wouldn't be good that somehow your private property not having, you know, not allowing the government to basically come in and take your private property without compensation, without any fervor or anything else, that 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 would be just the horrible. That would be the height of horribleness for that to happen. Um, he goes on to say other parts of the ordinance would change how affected landowners would be contacted and would require the borough to pay for easements. So. Like, that's a bad thing. Like, if they're going to have, if you're going to have a taking on your property, that the borough would be required to compensate you for that taking, gasp, gasp, that that would happen. But he goes back again to the key part of the ordinance, the part where it says that all property owners could opt out of planning documents. He says, I'm uncertain if property owners can opt out at any time or only when a new plan is adopted. Either way, I mean, if it was me and I still own property in the borough um, and I would, if this plan went into effect, I would immediately say, yes, I'd like to opt out of any comprehensive plan. Not that my property is in danger of being part of it that I'm aware of, but yeah, I would do that because it's my damn property. It's not yours. You don't pay the property taxes on it. Your kids didn't skin their knees in the in in your yard. You didn't have your goats and your chickens running around doing things. You don't have family memories and fun times and hard times and everything else there on your property that you've paid for with blood, sweat, and tears. So, yeah, I would opt out. Anyway, he says, the proposed ordinance would turn any comprehensive plan into an uncomprehensive plan. Theoretically, all landowners could opt out, making the planning process useless. Even if some opt in, the plan would be a patchwork defeating the concept of a comprehensive plan. Wait, what? You mean not everybody wants to go along with your kumbaya, communal, kind of centralized planning, socialist centralized planning vision? I don't usually like to throw the word socialism or communism out there, but this smacks very much of Soviet central planning. This idea that, you know, oh, because not because you don't want to participate, it's going to basically blow the whole plan. And what we need is we need government to come down with its jackbooted force and basically make you do all these things with your uh, with your property that you don't want to do for the public good because it's a comprehensive plan. The uh, ordinance has been submitted again by uh, Assemblywoman Barbara Haney. He goes on to say, I'm sure she's just trying to respond to concerns of property owners who feel they shouldn't be told what to do with their property or feel that they haven't been properly contacted. I appreciate it, but her solution does far too much damage. Well, the, the <laughs> does far too much damage by protecting property. Again, my one, one of my, my really my one thing that I can stand on for all the time that I spent in the assembly, which is like five or six years that I spent in the assembly. Um, I feel like my fight for property rights is probably my greatest victory in that time. Because again, the borough always, government always wants to tell you, bureaucrats and politicians always want to tell you what you can do with your property. Um, he goes on to talk about how <clears throat> the problem with this 
is that this her ordinance would affect all property owners in the borough. The largest landholders are public or semi-public agencies like the state of Alaska, the federal government, the University of Alaska, and the Mental Health Trust. And he goes on to say about how they, oh, they maybe he's intimating basically that they would be opting out, that they would be, uh, that they would be, the, again, do you think the state's really going to opt out of this? Do you really think the feds or the university or the mental health, do you really think if they care if somebody walks across a portion of their land that they haven't used in a hundred years and probably won't use for the next hundred years? Do you think that they really care about that? This is about protecting small private property owners. That's what this is about. But see, he sidelines that whole argument by saying, well, and then he paints this big picture about a subdivision with state roads and the university and and how it's this big convoluted thing because the state will definitely opt out if that's the case. No, I mean, this is about small private property owners. And he was kind of, again, he kind of was just gassed about, I mean, how do we pay for this? How do we, how do we, you know? He says uh, one aspect would require that the borough pay for dedicated easements required by the comprehensive plan. According to the planning department, people have not complained about not getting paid for easements. Should we start spending borough funds on something that's not been a, a, a problem? Is that fiscally responsible? Well, most people probably haven't squawked about getting paid because they didn't know that they could. Because it it's not been an option yet. Right? So he's putting the cart before the horse here. But the bottom line is, is that you should receive fair recompense for your property. Easements, generally speaking, you usually get paid in some way or another. Or if there's a taking, you know, you at least get fair market value for what, or close to fair market value, for what that taking is in eminent domain cases and things like that. This is just, again, this is a showcase of entitlement. This entire article is a showcase in entitlement where he feels he has some kind of perverse right or attachment to your property because he wants to have a trail that goes through it. And he's aghast that you would say no. So if you want to have a say in this, you need to show up to the planning commission meeting tonight at the Fairbanks North Star Borough. You need to show up, and under the public testimony, you should say, I'm a private property owner, and I want to have the right to refuse some public trail to go across my property just because you guys have it in the, in the comprehensive plan. I want to have a choice. And if you're going to take it, I want to at least get paid for it one way or the other. Somebody in the chat room brought up the idea of liability and things like that. What if you got a property that goes a, a, a trail that goes across your property and somebody stumbles and falls and breaks a leg and decides to sue you because it's on your property? Where's the liability in that? Where's the, you know, where's the, what does this open you up to? I mean, there's so many questions here, but the basic line is this. It's my property. I pay the property taxes on it. I, As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, I should be able to do whatever I want on that property. And if the government wants to come in and have a taking, then I should be fairly compensated for that. Well, most importantly, I should have the ability to opt out. So I hope you're, you're in the Fairbanks North Star Borough uh, and you're up in Fairbanks that you take the time tonight to go to the planning meeting and uh, and have your say. 
probably at 5 p.m. if I'm not mistaken, but we'll see. We'll see if Barbara tells me exactly what time it is. Okay. Um, we'll be we'll be going we'll be going on here. The Michael Duke Show. Chris Story's up next with a message for the masses. 6 p.m. on that planning meeting tonight at the borough. 6 p.m. Back with more after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. Um, pretty sure this violates the section of the Fifth Amendment for no compens. If there's no compensation, need to check. Yeah, exactly. Um going back up here um fairbanks has gone full socialist said uh genie yeah no i mean this is what it sounds like i mean this kind of entitlement in this uh in this uh piece this article this kind of entitlement i mean how can it not be uh, you know, full socialism. I don't usually throw that word around. I know a lot of people do. You know, if somebody's on the left, they must be a communist. I don't normally throw that thing around, but when you watch these presentations for these planning commissions and these comprehensive plans and everything else, when you get these city planners in there and stuff like that, they, um, they, uh, uh, very much looks like very reminiscent of Soviet planning. Of Soviet centralized planning. That's exactly what it looks like uh, in there uh, for sure. All right, let's uh, let's get Chris' story. See if we can get him on the phone here and get things squared away uh, this morning on the broadcast. Look at that. There we go. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I. On top of the world. On top of the world. You're a you're a uh, a realtor. Um, what are your thoughts on? I mean, I don't know if you've probably not been listening to the program, but what are your thoughts on the easements and all the other stuff that we're seeing? I mean, in Fairbanks, they're wanting to do these comprehensive trail plans where they basically take the property from people with no compensation, and then uh, are puzzled as to why you might be upset about it uh, in the long run. Uh, and now they're talking, this ordinance goes forward and basically says, if you're going to do it, you got to pay them. And if not, they have the ability to opt out. What What are your thoughts on that as a realtor? Well, as a realtor, I've spent a um, better part of, well, just over 20 years defending people's private property rights. And the Fifth Amendment is very clear. There's no mistaking what a taking is. It's been constitutionally, and the Supreme Court has upheld that over and over again time and again you cannot take property without just compensation and yet we see it every day we see it constantly and when you bring in outside experts for example homer is just getting ready to revisit its comp plan right and we're going to spend roughly seven hundred thousand dollars of which we presumably have confiscated from uh the wonderful citizens here and throw it away on a consultant from out of town you know these consultants <laughs> go to they go to workshops all over the country. They're influenced by 
many, many trends and whatever's, you know, the urban league and all the people are telling them that is good. And this is what we should be doing. And that will find its way through into ordinances, as you were suggesting here, that, you know, really the people of the community ought to create their own comprehensive plan. About 14 years ago, I was on the comp plan review here in Homer and they they brought in again, an expert out of town person with a briefcase, because that's what we need, because we're too stupid to determine our own fate and outcome and, and trail systems and footpaths. And, oh, we can't figure that out for ourselves. And I sat through a few meeting, meetings and I was like, man, I just can't, I can't do it. I, please don't put my name on this document. I want nothing to do with this. I'm out. And that's, that was a shame and that I shouldn't have done that. I should have stuck it out and uh, gutted it out and just tried to make the difference there. But it right. was pretty obvious what was happening. We were rubes being steered by an out-of-town expert with a briefcase, and right. and we were there just to well, just said, "Look, we involve the community." Yeah, no, I mean this is not just a Fairbanks issue. I mean, you guys had your own issue down there. Zach Brown had a problem with with a trail that was trying to go through his property, and of course, with his notoriety, it just led an extra edge of of problems to it, and he couldn't even get that stopped. I mean, it, this is not just a Fairbanks problem. That was different. That was pre-existing. That was uh, section line easement. But nevertheless, your point stands. Yeah, I mean, it's still a problem. And I agree. Um, but this whole issue is uh, definitely frustrating. All right, uh, we'll put that aside for the moment. Maybe we should have Chris back on for a whole private property rights discussion here one of these days. Meanwhile, he's got a message for the masses. Let's uh, get into that here and talk with him about it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based Free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow, do all the stuff on YouTube and uh and everything else. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep. Uh, Michael Dukes in the show. That's me, uh, the Michael Dukes show. Uh, welcome to it. Uh, we're continuing our two. We bring on our sage of wisdom, our guru of positivity, the Baron of Betterment. He is Chris <laughs> Story. I was trying to think of something like else that. that rhymed. The Baron of Betterment, the guru of positivity, the prince of PMA. Uh, it is Chris Story. Hello, my friend. How are you? I love it all. That's wonderful. The Baron of what was it? Benevolence? No, the betterment. 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 That's it. I love it. Okay. The Baron I love it. Of you, you, you're. I'd say you're the more benevolent of the two of us. So let's. <laughs> we'll yeah. We'll give that title to you. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get into it. Chris has today. He has got a message for the masses. Uh, Chris, what is uh, what is your message, my friend, for us here in the masses? What uh, what are you telling us? What's going on? I have to say, in this day of technology and technological advances, and sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you wonder if the technology is going to end up eating you. Um, however, once in a great while, technology wins and can really play a key role in your life. For example, last week, exactly. At this moment in time, last week, you and I were talking on this great radio program heard around the state of Alaska via technology, heard around the world via technology. You mentioned a book, a simple book written in 1922 called The Go-Getter by Peter B. Kind. Before we'd even hung up, I had already ordered a copy of it. 
I received it yesterday in the mail and have already read it now. And I'm just so grateful to you that you even mentioned the book again is called The Go-Getter by Peter B. Kine, K-Y-N-E. And you, you, you were in shock that I had never read it. And I was in shock that I had never heard of it. And what's ironic is that the book called The Go-Giver, I have become friends with John David Mann, the co-author of that book, and interviewed him many times. And uh, he's pre-read some of my manuscripts and just an amazing guy. And I just assumed that it was a riff on the concept of or the the statement that people say, oh, he's a real go-getter. And the concept of the go-giver is that, in other words, you give more than you take and you'll end up getting more than you've given. It's sort of a, a riff on the notion right. we all know about the go-getter. Right. Where did that even come from, the idea of a go-getter? What came from this guy? And Michael Dukes, you turned me on <laughs> to the book. Whoa, and whoa. I have, <laughs> no commas in there, no commas in there. I, I'm not the grammatic guy, you know that. I'm not the <laughs> king of grammar. But I loved it. It's such an incredible book, and, and it's a message to the masses. It literally is a message that written over 100 years ago, just over 100 years ago, 101 years ago. And the message is be like an ant, carry more than your weight, never be deterred, go under, go through, go over, find a way no matter what. It's a timeless little story. It's a parable. It's a little a little story that didn't need to be written. The guy who wrote it, Peter B. Kind, had written over 110 screenplays, 30 to 35 novels, and he did not need to write this little message. He did not need to leave his fingerprint in the world in this way. He'd already made it. He'd already made a fortune and would go on to make even more money through his other works. But this little tiny book, this little message is something that any and everybody needs to hear. There's no excuses, no alibis accepted. You can do what you want to do. You can become who you want to become. And in fact, that's exactly who you'll become is who you want to become. And nothing can stop you other than yourself. If you throw in the towel, that's the only thing that can stop you. The book uh, left a lasting and indelible impression on me in so many ways. It's been quite a few years since I've read it. In fact, I would I you told me yesterday when you got the book, I'm thinking, where is my copy of this book? Because I I'm sure it's in a box somewhere in my storage unit with some of my other books that I haven't seen in a few years. And I'm like, maybe I should go dig that out, or maybe I should just I don't know, maybe I should just buy another copy because it's probably easier than digging through all that stuff. But it did leave, I mean, I remember after reading that, I just was so, uh, it just impressed the idea upon me so much that, uh, you know, that is what you need in your life, that idea of the go-getter. I know it put into words kind of a philosophy that I had been raised with um, in a certain way, you know, by my parents and my grandparents kind of that impressed that kind of knowledge on me. But uh, the book put it in such a way, and in, like you said, in a parable form, which I find easy to consume in a lot of things. Um, but it is, it really left a mark on me. And I really thought, and it's such a small read, it's like 63 pages or something. It really mm -hmm. made a difference in my attitude in life. And, uh, and I thought it was a fantastic read. It's very reminiscent of a, a little essay that was written in 1899 by Albert Hubbard, and it was called A Message to Garcia. And to the, the essence of that, and this is not a spoiler such that you wouldn't want to read it if I tell you this, you, sh you should still read it. The little essay is found everywhere online. You, can, you don't have to buy it. You can just go download it. Basically, to avert a, a war, a message has to be gotten to this guy called Garcia, who is in the jungles of Cuba. 
And the one who's tasked with delivering this message doesn't ask, well, why? Doesn't ask, well, how, how do I get there? Or what if I don't find him? He doesn't ask anything. He literally takes the communique, puts it in his inside pocket, and he goes to deliver the message to Garcia. And it's the same message. It's be the ant. Be willing to alter your course. Um, never accept defeat. And never expect that the path is going to be free of obstacles. Of course, there's going to be obstacles. Of course, the rules are going to change and the rugs are going to get pulled out from underneath you. The point is, though, to, to keep moving forward and to keep going until you've done what it is you set your mind to do. Whatever it is that's been handed you to accomplish in this life, do it. I was watching an interview Jerry Seinfeld gave with uh, CBS this morning or Sunday morning years ago, seven or eight years ago, when he had been a number of years successful in his internet series called getting comedians getting coffee in cars or whatever it's called and he was saying i you know he reached the pinnacle right jerry seinfeld had reached the pinnacle of comedians and television they couldn't do any better than that guys worth about a billion bucks couldn't have done any better than that but he had this other idea and he got rejected by every single network he got rejected by every single internet network and platform which he didn't really need, but apparently he wanted the production assistance and all that. So he kept looking and finally found Sony Studios and their online uh, network called Crackle, which I'd never heard of. And uh, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll take a chance on you. This is a guy who who still, take after a, all that success. Take a chance on him. I mean, this, this guy's a billionaire. We'll take a chance on you. I mean, like you're nobody. Yeah. How many times do you have to get rejected? Even as, as somebody as well-known worldwide and world-famous and wealthy as him got rejected time and time again, even still, but he kept moving forward is the ant. And you can find a thousand stories like that of, of, of 100 million people you've never heard of that move forward and continue on. In this book, I have to tell you, you'll, you'll tell me sometimes, oh, Chris, I feel like you're, you know, you're, I needed this message from you and you were speaking to me. I needed this more than you could possibly have imagined. I've invested six months in a project. I've invested tens of thousands of dollars in a project that I was about to quit. I was about to pull the plug and say, it's, it's not working. It just, we tried, it's just not working. And I, I needed this message more than you could know. I read it, I finished it yesterday, Tiffany and I were talking and I said, I feel like this was written for me in 1922. And I'm so grateful you mentioned it to me because I'm gonna push forward, I'm not quitting. You, you're not getting rid of me. You're not getting to me. I'm going to continue moving forward. I'm going to take the lesson from this book. I'm going to look for the blue vase, and I'm going to get the blue vase. And that's a Easter egg for when you read the story, you'll get it. Right. But I'm going to get that vase, period. Yeah, no, exactly. And it the whole thing is um... – it's just inspiring. It really is. And sometimes I like, you know, there's a couple different books that I have uh, that for several years I kept copies with me. And when I was stuck in traffic or waiting for a client or something like that, I just pull it out and I'd start to read it. As a Man Thinketh was one of them. And the other one was The Go-Getter. Those are because they were I had I had small copies of them. They were like little tiny books. And I would just throw them in my back pocket or throw them in my bag or whatever. And I would sit there and read them because they just continue to remind me of why I did the things that I did. And, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, it was important. And I, I love that. I think that that was a, a good uh, a good thing. Is this one that you would definitely recommend to people who are just starting out on the road to self-improvement? What do you what do you say here? 
Absolutely. I don't care where you are on the ladder. It does not matter. You could be on rung one at the ground level, or you could be reaching the top of the wall that you've leaned the ladder against and, and need you need this. And I think maybe look at it another way. Read this short, short little book, because it's definitely a short story. Uh, as you said, 60 some odd pages could be read in, in an hour or, or a couple hours of commitment, no matter how, what kind of reader you are. And then think about the kind of thumbprint that Peter B. Kind left on the world with this little book. And then ask yourself this, what about you? Is, is there a story, is there something you are to do that in a hundred years from now, we might be talking about? Somebody might be talking about, somebody could have picked this little book up. Well, just like you did, you recommended it to me. Dave Ramsey actually re republished this book under his imprint at Ramsey Company. And he, he wrote a foreword to it. He loved this book so much. Uh, something like 30 years ago or whatever, a mentor of his had passed away, had a library, personal library, and left him earmarked a number of books to go to Dave Ramsey. And this was one of them. And he had already owned most of the books that this gentleman left him, but they were special because they were his. And then in the bottom of this box is this little book that was an old tattered copy. And he said it made all the difference to him in the world. And this is a guy who not only hit bottom, Dave Ramsey, I'm talking about, he kept digging, right. he hit bottom and then <laughs> kept the shovel was still in his hands. Right. And then he came back and it made a difference in his life. Just, it can make a difference in anybody's life, but what message are you to hand down? What is it you're here to do? Do you have a message for the masses, but maybe fear of criticism or fear of rejection or, or who am I to speak up? Who am I to show up at that meeting and speak my mind? And who am I to take a risk? And I say, you are the one, you're the only one that can take that risk. And rather spending than spending the rest of your life wondering what could have been, get your message to the masses. It doesn't have to be a book or a story. It could be something that you're maybe supposed to do. And don't ask how, don't make excuses, accept no alibis, least of all from yourself, and just get going and go get it. The name of the book is The Go-Getter. It's by Peter B. Kine, again, written in 1921, 1922, right there at the end of 21. Um, what an amazing book. Uh, and again, one of those ones that I think about sometimes, uh, The Go-Getter, As a Man Thinketh, Who Stole My Cheese is another one that's kind of a, the same kind of, uh, have you ever read that one, Who Stole My Cheese? Yeah, that's a good one. Who moved my cheese? Who? Yeah, that's a that's a great little yeah. book. Spencer I mean, Johnson. Again, yeah. So again, and to me, maybe I'm showing my brain power here because I'm naming all these very short little books. Um, but to me, they're little quick hits. You know, it's like a little quick hit, an uptake to to try and keep my positivity up and things like that. I mean, you could get down into uh, the laws of success with Napoleon Hill, which is a monumental volume, or uh, you know, the the uh, the Orson Sweat Martin books or things like that. Those are really deep and heavy. But sometimes you just need a quick hit. You know, you need an Ogmandino greatest salesman in the world or something like that with a great story or something like this little pamphlet or what was the one you told me about the other day which uh i went out and found a copy of on the internet it works uh the pamphlet i mean that thing is like what 15 pages long 12 pages long but it 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 lays down the whole thing as well i mean sometimes it's just those little things and again this is a reminder chris of that old um that old uh, uh saying that basically who you are uh, who you are or who you will become is basically a consolidation of the people you associate and the books you read in the next five years is that's who you'll become. And this is the kind yeah. of stuff that I want to read. 
And I blame Pulp Fiction just a little bit. There was a time in the early um, part of the 20th century where people were paid by the word. And they, they would be far more loquacious than necessary simply for the fact that they got paid a penny a word. Or sometimes if you were Earl Stanley Gardner, maybe you'd get up to three pennies, three cents a word um, in, the, in the pulp magazines. But right. they just fluffed and built up. Of course, why not? The more you write, the more you get paid. And the more words on the page, the more you get paid for each page. So I think so many business books and so many books on on almost any topic are too long and they're just too much. And you, and when you boil down something to its essence, you're, you let, you're left with the gold. You distill it yeah. down to almost like an alchemist. You just distill it down to what really matters. And so read, that's how I like to write. And that's what I love to read as well. Yeah. So I'm really grateful you turned me on to this book. Um, speaking of books you've written, um, you may have some good news for us on your latest book, The Watchmen. I know it's available right now on your website at ilovehomeralaska.com. Is it available on Amazon? And I guess the audiobook is coming out soon. Is that the move here? Yeah, in fact, your version of my book will be far more popular than my own version. I know that. <laughs> because the making a man and the backyard millionaire have been more popular on Audible than anything else, and so it's in uh, in review right now. I submitted it on the thirty first, so it should be another day or two. So hopefully by this time next week, you and I'll be talking, and it will be the Watchmen will be available on Audible. But right now, yes, ebook and and print uh, paperback copies available on on Amazon. I've got them in my office too. If somebody would like a signed copy, I'd love to just mail it to you. Just send me your address. And I'll, I'll mail you a copy. And um, yeah, but thinking of the books, the the little book that I wrote, the first book I wrote called Born to Live, you can literally, and, and I love it when people tell me this, they say, oh, I read it in one sitting. And that's what it's designed to do. So it's my, if I do nothing else, that will be enough for me. That yeah. little book means almost everything to me. But yeah, The Watchmen is going to be coming out on Audible. But yeah, by next Tuesday, it will be available. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. Folks, we got to go. We'll be back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues right after this. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Bum, 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 bum. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Chris Story with us uh, right here. I mean, you do write short, concise little uh, little ditties. I mean, you're whether no matter what it is, it's shorter than anticipated. I mean, The Watchman is a breakneck. The pace of it is a breakneck kind of thriller. It really happens uh, over. I mean, what that whole book happens over a period of two days. Day and a half, two days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to say that. Yeah, about a day and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is just a breakneck pace, um, but so full of stuff and just so, so juicy. That book is so good. Um, anyway, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I narrated the audio version of it. It was really an enjoyable read, and uh, it was kind of interesting to peer into the darker side of Chris' story. <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, you freaked me out because I I'm listening. I listened back to it while I was doing some yard work the other day at, a, at one of my rental houses, and I I was alone, and things were kind of grown up, and I was out back, and I was listening to the the pre production, so it's not available for anybody else, but I get to listen to it early, obviously, and I I'm looking over my shoulder, and I'm like, oh, what was it? It's like, oh man, I was like uh, a little freaked out to be working over there alone. 
uh, listening to this. So thank you for that. And then one other cool story, and I don't think I ever told you this, a realtor friend of mine in Idaho got the making a man on audible because that's how he reads and i'm using air quotes he every he doesn't he's unabashed he's like i just listen to books i don't read paper books i just listen to books and i said well you gotta listen to mine then so he, he went and downloaded and bought uh the making a man and he was mm, a couple days after he had finished it he was at a friend's place and they were in his shop out behind the house and it was a, there was like a lamp overhead and it was just sort of a, they were just having sitting there having a having a drink together and chatting and and his friend said, you seem, you seem a little unnerved. What's going on here? He goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, I just, I just read this book and, and uh, it's just, this, just being in this place is kind of freaking me out. It's making me think I'm back in that story. Anyway, so you left an indelible <laughs> mark in his mind. He's, he probably didn't sleep for a week. Uh, that's good. I mean, you know, the books are the, definitely the man series is definitely fun. I enjoy all of them. Don't get me wrong. But when you're in a fictionalized world like that and you can really dig deep on some of the characters, uh, especially in the first book. Oh, man, that that character was so dark and so fun to play with. Uh, and the the Watchmen is also kind of of the same vein. So I really enjoyed that as well. Sometimes it's Sometimes it's fun to explore your deeper, darker side a little bit and let that let a little bit of crazy loose in your voice or whatever when you're reading that stuff. It is uh, it's uh, it's fun stuff. I enjoy it. Um, and hopefully I can freak a lot of people out. I hope a lot of people get freaked out by listening to that book. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, but it's available right now. And it's surprising. You know, we were talking about audiobooks. Um, I saw a statistic the other day. Brandon Sanderson, who's a huge, uh, a huge science fiction writer. Hugely popular, has had the largest Kickstarter in history for books and authors and things like that. He was doing a piece the other day talking about why he hasn't put his latest books on Amazon, on, on Audible, because Audible has cornered the market and authors don't get paid. I mean, I think you get paid like 25% or 30% of the cost. It's, it's a crazy number. Anyway, so he was talking about, but he was talking about the growth of audiobooks. And that something like it has got almost a 40% market share now. And in fact, he mentioned that one of his last books that on pre-sales, 70% of the pre-sales were on audiobooks, not on, not on hard on covers, not on printed material, mm -hmm. but on audiobooks. It's a huge, huge market these days. It is. It is. And what Amazon's done is they've, they're actually like with all things Amazon. They're trying to they lure you in. So, for example, if you go wide, what's called publishing wide, then you're right. You do get just something like a poultry twenty or twenty five percent. If you go exclusive with Audible, which is the Amazon product, then you get sixty percent. So they they're luring as many people into the tent as possible with sixty percent royalty. And then once they own the tent and you're in the tent, then guess what? You don't know what's going to happen. So it's yeah. a gamble. It's a risk over yeah. time. But that's the that's the way of all things is Amazon. Well, so we got to support the independence. Well, yeah. And that's what Sanderson did. He actually tried to shop this out to other places and he eventually settled on. Uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but they don't they didn't really specialize in audiobooks. but they said that they do it for him and give him 90 percent. And then he worked out a deal with Spotify as well. Spotify wants to break into that market. So it's good to have competition. Um, mm -hmm. but I went ahead and got his books on Spotify because why not? Um, you know, I don't want yeah. I, as much as as convenient as audible is and everything else. Um, I want you guys to get paid. I want you guys as the authors and, uh, voice actors to get paid for that kind of stuff. So, uh, but anyway, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I, uh, we had a good time. I had a good time and, uh, and I appreciate uh, you, uh, 
let me be part of that. Just a small part of it. I appreciate that. Um, you are it. Well, yeah, and let's talk about uh, real estate another time, anytime. Yeah, no, let's talk about private property here maybe next time we're on or something. We'll talk about it. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer, right here on the uh, Michael Duke Show. Uh, Let's get over to – let me turn that off. Let's get over to this. we got to jump back in. Uh, Common Sense, uh, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Michael Duke Show is – Right now, here we go. Okay, Uh, welcome back to the program. One final segment of the uh, show here for today. And I appreciate you guys coming on board and uh, and joining us and and being part of it today and just kind of enjoying our discussions. Uh, Just finished up with Chris Story uh, with our Betterment segment, uh, you know, kind of our life coaching lessons and we appreciate that uh went on and on about uh went on and on about uh <laughs> private property rights again that meeting in fairbanks if you're in fairbanks you're going to want to be at the borough assembly chambers tonight at 6 p.m for public comment on that comprehensive plan because i guarantee you that all the trail people all the people that want public trails all the people that think your property is not your property they're going to be showing up they're all going to show up i guarantee it so if you're a private property advocate and you want to protect your property, I recommend you get over there 6 p.m. tonight. I saw an article today in the uh, ADN that caught my attention, um, and it struck a chord with me because I have been, I've been remote working for a long time. Um, I have been remote working. Uh, well, obviously, I'm remote working right now. I'm in a studio that I built in my own home. Um, for this, just this purpose of doing voice work and doing my show and things like that. But I've been working remotely on and off for probably the last nine years. Um, and it is, it's freeing, it's gratifying. It, I find it to be much more efficient for me personally. I'm able to get a lot more done and things like that. And the pandemic, again, that was one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that, um, that remote work really became an ingrained thing. I mean, it was talked about before, but it was really not practiced. And it was a real uh, exceptional situation, usually, if somebody got to remote work. Um, But the pandemic changed all that. And there's an article up in the ADN saying, employers need to realize some workers would rather quit than return to the office. And this is an interesting article. Uh, Here are a few quotes from people, uh, from somebody who just recently quit a job in Anchorage, Um, and, uh, the reason why they quit, they said doing time, that's what going into the office to work feels like to me, like jail, like I'm selling my freedom for a paycheck, the bar closing behind bars, closing behind me every morning. Um, and that is an employee. Uh, she calls him Jim, uh, who didn't want to, you know, who didn't want to necessarily resign, but didn't want to be forced into the office. The employers didn't want to lose him. So they hired Lynn Curry over at the Alaska 
uh, workplace to uh, take a look at this and to interview him and find out if there's anything they could do to keep him. And she said it took less than three minutes to learn why he was leaving. His employer's return to the office mandate had forced him out. Uh, his daily commute from Anchorage uh, to Anchorage from the Matsu takes an hour and a half a day and more than two hours in the winter. Uh, before the pandemic, he made the best of it, books, audiobooks, podcasts, music, um, because he enjoyed his work and he liked his managers and did everything else. He didn't really say anything. But after COVID, um, he was, you know, he simply, you know, loved that. And then trying to come back to work when his employers came back and asked him to work two days a week, he took that and said, okay. But then his employers decided for whatever reason that it should be all in-person work and that all employees needed to return to the office full time. And he, he quit. He offered a, he located somebody who was willing to hire him for remote work and he turned in his notice. And, um, he said, it's not just the escalating gas prices or even the eight hours of my life that I waste each week driving. It's the ease I find in working for home. That trust I felt that my employer had in me. I wanted to be able to work in casual clothes with my dogs at my feet, be present when my kids got home from school. I wanted the freedom to work seven hours one day and 10 hours the next day, as long as I met my obligations. And I think that's, that's a huge thing. Um, it really struck a chord with me because that's how I am. I work from home a couple days a week. Uh, because it is, it's a two hour drive. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's an hour and a half drive for me almost every one way. So it's between two and a half and three hours a day. If I travel into town, it's three, about two and a half hours a day that I am spent burning up on the road, which I, Hey, great. I get to listen to audiobooks, I get to do whatever I want, but it also is a complete waste of my time. That's work. When I finish the show and I'm working from home, I go to work at eight Oh five in the morning. And I usually don't quit till six o'clock at night. That's just because I'm just here. I'm in a groove. I'm going. And it is astonishing to me how more employers are not seeing this and embracing the flexibility of it. Um, if you're a small business owner and you have the ability, now there's certain jobs, obviously you can't do remotely. You can't do retail restaurants. I mean, just certain things you can't do, but if your profession allows for you to work remotely. If your business allows for employees to work remotely, why aren't you embracing that? Why aren't you embracing that with whole, and I'm not saying, you know, if you don't trust your employees to do the job, then obviously you can't trust them to remote work. But that raises other questions about trust anyway, and work ethic in the workplace. But if you can't trust your employees to get the job done, and you'll see by their production and their numbers and what they're doing, then that you know there's obviously some issues there. But if you can trust them, why would you force? And I've seen several articles about this and several pieces and blogs about where people have said they wanted to force me to go back to work. I was doing better than ever before. I was more productive. I was doing this. I was doing that. But they said because everybody has to, everybody's got to come back to work. Uh, even Elon Musk demanded that all the people that were working, I think, at Twitter that were working remotely, he demanded that they all come back into the office, which, again, makes no sense to me. Why can't you embrace change? Why can't, especially if it's for the better, if they feel better about it, if they want to do it? Uh, again, I'm more productive when I'm working from home versus wasting time and doing things like that. Is it just to fill a, to mark a checkbox? Why would you do that? Why, why would you? Im so it's interesting to see more and more employers need to understand this, 
according to uh, one of the surveys um, that uh, Lynn quotes in here, she says, uh, according to the career site Monster uh, September's 2022 survey, two-thirds of employees state that they'll quit if their employers require them to come into the office full-time. Two-thirds, with 40% stating they may quit if required to come into the office even one day a week. The According to the consultancy Clarify Capital survey of more than 1,000 remote workers, 7 out of 10 would rather look for a new job than return to the office. 25,000 workers reported that when employees have the opportunity to work flexibly, 87% of them take it. If you see it, why don't you embrace it? Why don't you take that opportunity? And some places have. There's been several firms, lawyers, and things like that, where they've cut their real estate holdings, especially in the big cities where it costs a big amount of dollars. They've cut their real estate holdings in half. They created shared workspaces instead of dedicated offices and allowed everybody to work from home. That makes sense. That's embracing that idea. Why aren't we doing that more? I don't understand. Anyway, it's an interesting article. Uh, you could find it at the ADN. I'll post it up in the in the comments here today. Good morning, folks. Thanks for coming in. We'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay. Um, uh, Michael, do you listen to talk radio in the car? I do most conservative talk radio shows, but there's a communist station on the FM band in Fairbanks that I regularly listen to, even though I don't agree with them. I just like to see the flaws in their arguments. I do not listen to talk radio in the car, uh, mostly because talk radio deals with national issues, and I just get angry, and, there's, and I have no way of affecting it. So usually I very rarely listen to talk radio at all. Um, and the fact that I'm here in the market. I don't want to necessarily be parroting anybody or copying anybody or, you know, so I just have a tendency to do my own thing. And uh, that's just how I do. I listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I regularly, regularly monitor my competing radio stations to see what they're doing. That's about it. That's about it. Anyway, um, thanks folks. It is uh, good to see you today. Thanks for being part of it. We will see you tomorrow.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.